I mean, I, I the one I, I hang out the most, dogs, probably. Yeah. But if outside of dogs, like, all right, so what animal would you be if you were an animal? Probably an eagle. Would you'd want to be an eagle? I just I think yeah, flying flying be pretty chill. Yeah, you're protected. Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want. No bird is gonna kill you up there. Laser laser eyesight. Like they have lasers or just? No, they just oh, can, they can see, see really, really well. well. That's a that was a good because you have no predators. Yeah. No, nah, you you run. You you're run at the top it. of your food chain. Yeah, your your old age is your only enemy, and no one kills them. Like like Kent is allowed to kill them. Like a lion, like people go and like even kill a lion. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you, you, no one kills an eagle. No, you're not hanging out where they poach. You can fly away. That's a sick pick. It's super patriotic. Stand oh, up. Oh yeah, America, USA. Should we do the Star Spangled Banner right now? What's up, guys? Welcome back to Direct a Podcast. This is episode 31. 31. Wow. Um, I'm Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keenan Wetzel. And today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, the Eightfold Collective and Musicbed. This episode of Direct a Podcast is sponsored by Musicbed. Just like scouting, filming, and editing, having great music should be an asset to your film, not a roadblock. Musicbed is dedicated to making that a reality. That's why they've completely rebuilt their platform of over 650 world-class artists and composers with brand new features, workflows, and checkout process. And with advanced search filters like Include Exclude, Beats Per Minute, Key Song Build, and more, finding the perfect song has never been easier or faster. Get 20% off your next on-site license with the coupon code DIRECT20. Learn more at musicbed.com slash new. On today's episode, we've got director Mark Jenkinson. Mark is a London-based director that has really made a name for himself, especially in the automotive world. And, you know, I just, I really learned a lot through this conversation. And I think think you guys are going to really enjoy it as well. Mark is just a very kind individual. And just listening to him just really got me excited to just get out there and, and film something. Um, you know, I, I think it's clear he really loves what he does, and that comes across just throughout this whole conversation. So with that, I'm going to toss it over to the man of the hour, Mark Jenkinson. Enjoy. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. We're really excited to have you with us. Hey, guys. Um, pleasure. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for inviting me. So remind me again where you're calling in from? I'm in London at the moment, which is where I live. Um, often traveling around, but at the moment I'm uh, yeah at home, which is nice. Cool, man. Um, so yeah, just kicking it off right from the beginning. Um, what are some inf- uh, films that inspired you to uh, get into filmmaking? I guess it's um, a good question. I mean, the, the, the sort of biggest film memory I have or the film that made the most impact on me as a child was was probably Jurassic Park because I was 10 when that came out. And I remember going to the cinema and seeing some other movie that was rubbish. And we left the cinema and we saw this, me and my brother saw this poster on the wall, which was the classic Jurassic Park poster, the T-Rex silhouette, you know, against the yellow circle and the red. And, uh, and we, we didn't know what it was. And we just like, mommy, what's that? What's, what's Jurassic Park? <laughs> And we just read it as Drastic Park, which is just sort of scary. And like, you know, and and my mum sort of laughed and tried to explain what it meant. And we we didn't know what it was, but we just liked the sound of this dinosaur. And then I went to see this film about a month later when it came out, and it it scared me to death and blew my mind. And we were just obsessed with it for about a year. Um, and I think that that film really kind of made me opened my eyes to the sort of idea of, of telling stories and fantasy and, and uh, just the excitement that can be found in, in you know, in, in films. So, yeah, I guess that's the, the biggest memory. The, the other film is a weird one, but when I was growing up, I loved horses. I did a lot of horse riding. And um, there's a film by called The Black Stallion, uh, which is not a pornographic film, although it might sound like <laughs> one, <laughs> um, it, which was sort of produced by... I can't remember if it was Francis Ford Coppola or, or someone big and um, about a little boy that 
kind of um, gets lost on a desert island, marooned on a desert island with a with a an Arabian horse, race horse, and it's the first hour of the movie is like there's no dialogue and it's just about this boy and this horse and it's it's amazing. So that that was the other film um, that I kind of fell in love with, I guess. Um, yeah. So you saw those films. They they obviously like had a big impact on you. Did you immediately? realize there's a curator behind this there's somebody that's bringing this to life you know how you know what was your process of discovering that there is this position it's called a director and they're the one that's making this you know idea come to life what was what was your process of figuring that out i think yeah i mean jurassic park again those 10 so and i'd started like that year or the following year I, i got a super 8 camera and i started making my own stop frame animations so it was definitely a time i was very interested in how stuff was made and and we used to get these big books that were the behind the scenes books you know in those days they, they still make them i guess but these really thick books that had all the pictures from from the making of the film and and we were both me and my brother would trawl through these books and, and he was obsessed with Arnold Schwarzenegger so we had books on Predator and Terminator and all the behind the scenes and then Jurassic Park so we would do a lot of kind of pouring over these images of, of film sets um so I was guess I, I guess I started to realize pretty quickly the amount of ingredients and the amount of work that went into making these things um, and I was just as interested in the, the nuts and bolts as I was the finished thing, I think. And that's why, you know, I was, I was always in, always had cameras, always wanting to take pictures. And, and then when I got into Super 8, uh, about 10, 11, that was kind of what I spent hours in my bedroom playing with, you know. Um, obviously making nothing of use, but <laughs> it was, the process was fun. So, so when was the transition from, you know, Super 8 films to you know, working your way to now, you know, doing this for a living, you know, when did that, you know, take me through that process? So, well, yeah, I mean, from, from making the Super 8 stuff, um, which I I said was, was really terrible. It was just plasticine animations that were all unfinished because it would take months to do anything. Um, I, I, I was then, I got into the other side of it, really. I was actually into acting, um, and I did a lot of amateur theatre from probably, 11 12 right up to 18 so I was constantly on stage and you know acting um and and I loved it you know I really enjoyed that that world and actors are such nice people and it was just a really um yeah nice environment very creative environment to be in um so whilst kind of being interested in films and you know taking pictures but not really doing anything proper I was really getting into the acting side um, and I guess once I got to about 15, um, I decided I wanted to, I wanted to sort of do something with cameras a bit more practically and, and, and actually try and make something. And I managed to convince my school to, uh, let me, my secondary school, yeah, to let, I think it was 14 actually, let me make a, a documentary for a charity. And I, I picked up guide dogs for the blind charity and went and interviewed these this company on how they train these dogs and you know it was just it was it was a weird experience but I was just sort of sent off on with this video camera on my own to to the city center to make this thing and I just really enjoyed it and I was like I just like the process of taking time to gather the elements and doing tape to tape VHS editing at the school which I just sort of learned by myself really um, and that led to me getting the year after getting work experience and I went down to London and worked in an advertising company and I, I was just blown away by, I realised that there was actually an industry, there was jobs that people had that was making, making um, yeah, I guess TV commercials. It was the first time I realised that there was an, other than films, there was also this whole world of, of talented creative people that made very short films. <laughs> Um, and from about 15, 16, after doing this work experience, which was a mandatory thing at school, and most people went to work with their dads or their mums, you know, or of the local factory. And I just shipped off to London, which was a sort of two hour train ride away um, and was just getting the tube every morning at 15, 16 to this company. Um, and I just knew I was like, I've got to be I've got to be here. I've got to be in London. I, I need to be in this world with all these people because they're just talking about making stuff and it was just yeah it just blew my mind so 
I guess that led to the next decision, which was what to study at college, which I did, you know, film studies, A-level, which was mainly theory, and then a practical kind of media course where you just made sort of rubbish TV shows and stuff, you know. Um, and then, then finally to uni, which was something I wanted to do for my own experience, just to experience being a student. <laughs> um, but I knew I wanted to be in London and to get from Nottingham in the Midlands, which is two and a half hours from London to, to London, I was like, well, I might as well just go to a university in London and then I can be in the big city that I want to be in and, and use that as a sort of stepping stone. So I picked a film course at Westminster and that was it. I moved down there and I've never looked back and never left since 2001. Um, yeah, and then just got work experience in the summers on the course just to try and get a bit of an understanding of how this advertising industry worked that I was slowly learning about and make some contacts. Um, yeah, does that sort of answer? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so then breaking into the industry and kind of getting getting to a place of being an established director, was that really just kind of a slow drip effect, just working your way up the ladder? Or was, was there kind of a breakthrough moment that you can call back to? Yeah, I mean, I did the thing that a lot of directors, uh, well, a lot of crew and every, I, I think the industry as a whole, the filmmaking industry, there's, there's one main common thread and that's most people start at the bottom and most people are, are a runner at some point or, you know, um, so I, I did exactly that. I left uni um, and got a job in a really nice production company, very small boutique place, um, and made tea and bought toilet roll and flowers and took tapes to different places for two and a half years and worked really hard. And I loved it. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun, but brutally long hours. Um, but when you're 21, you don't care and you've got endless energy and you're just surrounded by you know, you're meeting directors and you're hearing snippets of meetings. So I did that. And then one day they had this call for this. It was the time when like broadband was taking off and there was a lot of very early video being done in, in sort of online. So there was a lot of calls and a lot of people not knowing how to make stuff for digital, but it, there was a need. And this company was quite old school and they got this, this phone call going, we need to make this online game for a mobile phone company um, and we've got £40,000, which to them was like nothing. You know, they're used to like half a million pound budgets minimum. And um, yeah, do you have anyone that would want to do it? And I sort of overheard this conversation and they put the phone down. They were like, oh, well, we haven't really got anyone. Everyone's away and da, da, da. And I just sort of went to my boss like... Uh, can, can I can I do it? <laughs> Not really knowing what I was getting myself into. And he sort of looked at me and was like, well, well, I mean, well, we can have a chat and see. And he was just thinking, well, <laughs> what we've got to lose, you know, there's not much money in it. So, so yeah, and that, I ended up kind of meeting this agency and kind of suddenly a few weeks later, I was on a film set or on a film studio. It was just a green screen one. And there, the, the, the game was about... Um, being a football streaker you know so in a football match in England quite in the old days you used to get people that would run onto the pitch with their clothes off and just get arrested just to get attention and, and you had to control the football streaker running along a pitch and dodge the policeman and jump over the the players and get to the the goal line and kick the ball in the net and it was all pixelated and sort of plan view um and I just was, I turned up on this set and I had these three women that took their dressing gowns off to set, that were naked and, and, and that were the streakers. And it was like, what do you want us to do? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, you know, but it, it worked really well. It went fine. We got all of the elements that we had to shoot. Um, and uh, the game went launched and it was a big success. And, you know, it was like, okay, great. And then they rang up another month later with another project. So I kind of, that was really the break was just getting into a very small niche area of, of digital filmmaking at the time or digital advertising where no one really knew what they were doing. And the filmmakers didn't know how to do it because they were used to traditional processes and the digital world then was all alien and, you know, um, yeah. So I kind of, 
just got into that world and became at a time, I guess, a bit of a sort of pioneering little pocket of people that were making really exciting digital advertising for a few years. Um, and I joined, I ended up leaving the company I was working for and joining the agency as a sort of with an in-house production company and post-production company in it. And I, I ended up staying there for six years, just making stuff like shooting all the time, like good stuff, bad stuff, you know, funny stuff, uh, serious stuff, cars, pr- product, computer game, everything. It was like a, you know, whirlwind film school, but heavily digital and lots of post-production that we were doing ourselves so um and, and often no mo- very little money so we had to be very resourceful um yeah so, so that was the so, break so when did you transition to kind of the more um tra- more traditional you know uh, uh you know self-employed you know rep uh, director so yeah i was there as i said for six years and, and we got to make some really cool stuff and i was building a showreel but the the showreel i was building was a sort of proper bag of all sorts like you know there was not a common thread in any of it you know other than it was you know mostly well crafted for what it was and and we achieved a lot on a lot of little little amount of money so stuff looked nice but it wasn't a reel where I could say well I feel like this represents what I want to make or what I love making it just had bits of bits of that Um, and I started to realize that the agency as nice as they were they weren't really bothered about my career because I was a director and they were an agency you know they had way bigger responsibilities so I, I thought well I have to probably leave <laughs> and venture out and uh, and join a proper production company that actually you know is nurturing directors careers and helping them build the real that they want to build so I, I t- took the plunge really and it was a very scary moment because I was on a salary you know not a huge amount of money but it was a safety security and I was you know, I was very aware that becoming a freelance director was a bit of a dive into the unknown and the risk would go up. Um, and I just talked to lots of companies and finally found uh, Rogue, who I'm still with, you know, six, seven years later. Um, and they were interested because I guess, again, it was the experience of doing all that digital work was pretty um, relevant at that time in 2012, 13. And they thought, well, maybe it'd be good to have a guy that's sort of got experience in that world, you know, if it's all going that way. So I joined them with that under that sort of guise and uh, had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and, and ironically, the the work that I was started to do was 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 sort of very undigital. <laughs> you know, I was pitching on old traditional TV advertising, which is kind of what I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to just do the digital stuff. Um, uh, and yeah, so I was very lucky that they took a punt really on, on a guy with a very mixed bag of a reel that was hard to, hard to sell, I guess, because, you know, it it wasn't one clean, like, oh, that's what that guy does. Um, I just had to hope and, and, and yeah, get the projects that, that, that no one really was that excited about and try and turn them into something good, which kind of became my my thing really I guess at the start so when did you because a lot of people will know your work a lot of your work as automotive work when did you make a transition into that kind of car automotive market was that just by happenstance or is that something that you wanted to do it, it certainly wasn't something I, I wanted to do I mean um, yeah I, I was it was it's weird I never really had a clear I mean I, I just wanted to make things that I cared about and I wanted to make things that were were visually strong and um, exciting and I wanted to move people and I guess they're, they're sort of all very kind of general aspirations of all directors but I was so busy kind of learning for so many years and, and enjoying that process of solving problems creatively and technically and trying to learn so, as much as I could about technique and uh, and all this stuff and also coming from acting I felt I had a good grasp of performance even though I wasn't doing that much of it you know I'd I'd been in that situation so I was just trying to cover lots of things off and, and, and learn as much as I could and when I got into the commercials bit and I started getting to see some scripts I was like okay I don't I don't really want to do comedy I knew that I wanted to do things where there was scope to push visuals 
and create worlds and things like that. So the the car thing was a complete accident. I, I got this, um, it wasn't the first job I did, but the first sort of job that got attention, I guess, was um, a script for Audi and it was the R8 and they had this tiny idea where they just wanted to film the car going through the gears on a rolling road. Um, so the static car and they just wanted to, it was more an audio thing really and they just wanted to film the car and they, they did want to have the engine exposed and they had like 30 grand or something like very little money and I just saw it as um, an opportunity I was like well I, if I was watching this what would I want to see and I thought how could I make this more interesting than just an exp- an audio experience you know that was quite aggressive um, so I didn't do very much really, but I just wrote a visual narrative where, where you, you led the audience through the car and you gradually teased out this, this scene, you know, this very simple scene. Um, and just, and we did it and I didn't think, I just did what came to my, what I thought would, would make a more compelling 60 second film than just a camera film in the back of a car. Um, and yeah, and it, it, it sort of went mental (laughs) sort of everyone seemed to really like it and it transformed Audi's brand at the time and yeah it just I I don't know it was it was a lucky break and I I realized that okay maybe I don't know that much about cars but I guess I could I could think about them from my point of view and that was maybe working (laughs) um yeah it wasn't intentional basically so, you know, obviously in a lot of car commercials, your protagonist is a car. How, you know, and, and still looking through a lot of your work, we really, you're able to almost bring emotion and character still through the vehicle. What, what is your process of kind of discovering what, how to bring character through in, you know, an inanimate object? Mm. No, it's a good good question. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely something that I'm very passionate about, and I do try, you know, put a lot of effort into trying to 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 do that. I, I think the first step is is you want you need to work with people that are open and and kind of see that potential. So whether it's the agency and the client or um, just yeah, just the creatives that you go, okay, we we want to to take this and try and elevate it and make it a bit special. And it's easier to, to get to that point once you've done it a few times, because then they can see your work and you say, well, I want to do this sort of thing. And, and they kind of go, yeah, great. Um, so if they're open to that, then, then that's great. And it gives me the freedom to, to just not really, to just try and make what I think is right. Um, obviously whilst ticking all of the boxes that they need to tick to, to, in terms of messaging and marketing, but but for me, it's 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 always been about trying to create feeling and some sort of emotion, however simple that is, um, because actually, if you can feel something like you say to an inanimate object, then it's then it's it's doing something pretty special, um, and I think I was always excited about movement and energy and trying to. I guess capture what some of these cars can make you feel if you're in them trying to translate that onto the um, screen Um, so I kind of tried to I never really paid much attention to how people shot cars in the past I I didn't you know I was never that amazed by car advertising occasionally there was some cool things but it was usually ideas that were interesting and actually had nothing to do with the cars themselves you know they're the best historically they were the best car ads were the the vw ones where you barely saw a car you know um so i i kind of just went well went by feel and was like tried to bring these things to life and and because i i felt i think i had a very good grasp of cameras and i have a very good grasp of of um op, you know i operate a lot and i'm very hands-on i'm very i always want to know how things work i was always fascinated by how things work so so physically moving cameras was something I was very excited about and obviously with cars you you got to do that and the better and faster and more uh, sort of um, exciting you can make that camera move through technology um, and ideas the the more exciting you can kind of make these these visuals um, 
so I was just really trying to push every technical aspect that was available to me to 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 unhinge all in uh, this this imagery and just make it feel more alive and, and more unusual um and then yeah kind of working with the right people to, to that could see that and then help to connect all those gaps you know the right editors the right sound people the right cinematographers um the right drivers everyone really that that could kind of get excited by this imagery that was really not conventional at least and I, and it, things have been done before don't get me wrong i'm not saying i invented anything at all but but i think it was less seen and and then just trying to to go no 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 this this accidental feel this this roughness is good this is what we want guys you know and once people kind of get into that vibe then then you can you're all pushing in the same direction as opposed to everyone thinking you're trying to make one type of film and and I'm the only one there saying trying you know trying to make the camera not not do something that was perfect um so yeah I think just trying to find a language that to me spoke about energy and excitement um was was a was a the main factor and something I kind of put a lot of a lot of thought into I don't know if that answers your question <laughs> yeah no it absolutely does I, so you know I think when when you when you get a board in you know I'm just curious like what what is that that process of digesting that look like is it is are you really making a conscious effort of like how can we do this different what's you know what's what's a spin we can do in this that maybe hasn't been done before and then kind of like piggyback in that maybe tell us about you know a really creative treatment that you've done whether or not you want it just like what's the most like out there idea that you've worked towards mm. Yeah, I mean, again, I think if, if if when you do these, the first call, you know, the, the, the main thing I'm after is is what's my remit? Like, how free am I to, to, to you know, run with something? And, and sometimes that's very quickly kiboshed and you realise, well, okay, I kind of can't do these things I want to do. Um, we, we'll make this a little bit more straightforwardly. But if, if that freedom is kind of given and people want to, push things um then i'm just looking for yeah i'm just looking at how do i make something i haven't seen before or at least something that feels way less seen <laughs> than than things you see a lot um and then how does that narratively play out so i think trying to find yeah it's, it's like a visual narrative as opposed to an actual story but trying to trying to have something that starts in one place and ends in another and it, it, it takes you on some kind of emotional journey whether that's you know about energy or whether that's about mystery or you know just trying to thread something in there that 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 makes it compelling to watch and I think often scripts and maybe have nice ideas but they're they're maybe missing that visual narrative which is quite ambiguous at times but um and it, and it, it often is about how the music builds with that you know you need every element to to create this this feeling um but that's very much where i start from is trying to find what's the narrative i want to do with this what's how is this i'm going to unfold in a way that is going to pull people in however simple the thing is and however non you know you know like uh, i mean honda NSX a few years ago is is a good example you know the story was just we want to see a car being made or being born um and I felt okay well this is a territory that we've seen a lot we've all seen car factories before we've we've seen cars being sprayed and put together and we've seen cars driving fast but my, for me it was like okay what I think would make this interesting is is a narrative that felt like we were witnessing the car's mind while it was being built. So while it was like bursting to get out of the, you know, the factory, it was having these like premonitions of what it was going to do when it was built. Um, and, and that energy was kind of being infused into the car in the factory. So it was kind of, you know, it was, it was a very sort of metaphorical, narrative you know but that was that was my approach is like how do we tell that story as opposed to just telling the story of a car being built and then you know released onto the onto the road 
Um, and if once I'd kind of got that narrative down, that idea down, it was like, okay, well, visually to do that, I wanted the factory scenes to feel, I wanted to shoot the factory scenes exactly like you would shoot the car on the road. And everything about this car, because it was a supercar and whatever, should be, should feel like this thing is like bursting to get out and every single element of it is kind of full of energy and it's all fizzing together um and so the way we capture the the shot the way we shoot it the the camera work the sound design the edit the pace of it and the music should all be about kind of bursting energy and and some sort of emotion like you know if you would if something is being given given birth to it's a special thing right so it had to feel special as well um so i think that that's a really good example of a project where the story was does i didn't really change the idea but the visual narrative and the way we put it all together i think kind of added a whole new layer and um kind of feeling to to a fairly straightforward idea that we would have seen before. It wasn't an original script and, and the agency would say that, you know. Um, but I hope I hope, and my ambition was to try and show it in a new way. Um, yeah. Well, that's it's, it's an awesome piece for sure, man. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask about was um, a lot of these times, you know, you're shooting on a Russian arm or you're shooting car. How, how do you go about trying to explain what you're going to do, knowing that it might be a, a bit of a free-flowing nature once you're actually in the car? Um, are you really calling out specific beats? Or like, how, how do you like to explain what you're actually going to shoot when you're shooting these cars, say, on a track or something like that? Mm. Yeah, good question. I mean, it's it tends to be that you know most of these projects, you, you have to do some kind of storyboarding because just to get things through client, sometimes you have to you know go through those motions and you know if we're doing that it's always annoying because you're drawing sort of slightly irrelevant things really Mm -hmm. because you know I know once I get out there it's it's all going to change and I'm going to find way better things but you start there at least and it is useful because you you kind of at least you're putting into your head things that are important to the client um so you're knowing that there's certain things you might need to see or capture but but um really it's i mean i've got a kind of pretty clear idea in my head of how i want the edit to go and how i want to see the car for example um so i know what the story is i may even know what the music is or at least what i would want to use i've had um extensive chats with the dp and i tend to work with people that i know very well and i trust because especially if it's a high performance thing there, there's there's very few people in the world that I would get into a Russian arm with, to be honest. And I've I've made it quite a serious point that I won't do stuff unless I can have the team I want because I've been in a situation where you get the team you didn't ask for and you can't mm-hmm. do the shots. You literally can't do it. And and mm-hmm. it's incredibly frustrating. And then it just makes you look me look bad and, you know, everyone's sort of unhappy. So so that's something I've learned along the way. But the, the so the team is super super important and that because you kind of need this mix of not needing any words to say something or the reaction that i make that's verbal or like ah noise you know they instinctively know that that's good and they just keep pushing it but you also need a, a communication that's so so efficient that when people are talking there's no wasted moment because obviously we're traveling at high speeds and the lights going and all of that and you want to maximize every single moment so i think for me it's you definitely want to be in an organic situation i, I hate being locked in too locked into a specific move or an idea that you know you're just doing that one thing because often it, it might sound good and then you try it and you're like it just doesn't work guys it just doesn't look very good mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so the, the the more organic you create the the setup so if it's a racetrack great or a road or, or a space um you've got lots of angles you can shoot from i'm always you know light is super important it's always about when when to do it and where the light's going to be so i'm i'm constantly trying to keep us with the dp but he's very focused on the camera i'm constantly trying to keep us in the pockets of light and the direction that i want to be in so i'll be 
constantly on the radio telling the car where to go right hang on we need to do this but before we do it just turn around because it's much better that way so i'm trying to keep everyone in this sort of um bubble of nice light nice bit of the location um, and keeping everything moving so that we're finding these moments because the more you stop the more you've got to get back into a rhythm um and then yeah i i guess i'm doing most of the talking i'm quite uh, you know vocal i've usually got three radios on me i'm usually one radio to the ad so that they know what i'm doing back at base i've got one radio to the driver of the hero car and then um sometimes a radio to you know guys on a smoke smoke machine truck <laughs> trying to keep out of the shot so i'm always kind of pushing different buttons and constantly yapping and then telling the dp and telling the drive the russian arm driver i'm shaking the camera with my i always you know i do all of the if there is vibration or things like that, then I'm, I'm doing that myself as well. So I've usually got like something jammed in my, a radio in my legs, you know, a covert radio in my ear and another one in my other hand. And my, <laughs> it's like, I, you know, it's pretty hokey actually, if you were to see inside, but um, it's, yeah, it's like being a juggler. You're just constantly, you've got to have your eyes everywhere out the window in the monitor. Um, you know, I'm looking at how fast we're going it's hard yeah there's so many elements and you're just then seeing what's happening and knowing okay well that worked really well and that's because we were doing this in this spot so i'm gonna i'm gonna orchestrate it so that we come back to that or we keep doing more of this you know um and then the 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 dp is obviously hugely important and they're inputting to this uh, you know a lot as well but i think if they're too if their head's not in the in the camera at that moment then it's very difficult, I think, to get the best stuff. And it's that's what's my job to, to be doing most of the talking because I don't want them thinking about what we're supposed to be doing and where we're supposed to be. I want them focused on that moment, that where we are. I've put, you know, we, we're in this position for a reason, doing this speed and the driver's about to do something. So the, the, they need to be focused on reacting to that as it happens. Um, yeah, so it's it's a crazy environment, but I quite enjoy that kind of conductory nature of, the, of my job at that point um I, I don't know if that yeah yeah absolutely um you talk a lot about your collaborators and how important that is how early do you like to bring them on in the process are you are you trying to input a dp into a into a treatment and saying this is what i'm going to use or or at least mentioning it to the agency like how early are you bringing on your kind of collaborators or at least trying to i i think i talk to my a dp and an editor on every pitch so i don't really write them into treatments i don't do that because a they're probably going to be booked and i can't get them or you know and then it's just like then you just look like you can't work with the people you want to work with um and also maybe they turn out not to be the right person but the people that i talk to are very close friends and they care we care about each other's work and they just you know we want to help each other and they want to help me do the best thing I can do so um, I hopefully you do work with them but it's not a prerequisite and they will collaborate you know right at the beginning as soon as I've got a script I kind of work out what I want to do and then I get on the phone with you know the likes of um, uh, Ottar in Iceland or Khalid or um, you know someone else and, and, and run run through it and, and brainstorm and talk about imagery and talk about ideas and then i take that and go and see my editor and sit sit with them and just kind of talk it through really and i find it really useful because um yeah you you just need those perspectives and they might say something that just triggers another idea or 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 kills an idea actually you know and then you go and write your treatment having having had that kind of just free chat um Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and then, and then hopefully you get the job and then you kind of pick up where you left off and you might have two weeks before you're shooting, but suddenly your editor's already on board. He knows the whole thing. You said, you remember that thing we talked about three weeks ago? Yeah, it's happening. And they go, oh, brilliant. I was thinking about it and I thought about this, you know, so you're, you're already kind of into it with them. Um, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, it's something I, I personally find very valuable. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean we have to work together on that given project yeah that's that's super cool i think that's that's a really 
smart idea and it's like a great strategy getting getting more heads in on it as early as possible i think that's super super smart um so yeah i mean continuing on uh, let's talk about another very ambitious russian arm job uh this this new toyota spot that you have how uh let's i mean i think it's you know it's obviously something super ambitious tons of tons of talent tons of cars you know maybe just talk a little bit about the the initial board and kind of where you were able to take it Hmm. yeah i mean it was um it, it came in and it was a a very clearly very exciting project and it was very different to a lot of the stuff i've been doing um tonally it was a lot lighter it was more fun it had some great performance potential um lovely characters and i and i'm very you know keen to to do more of that i want to keep growing and diversifying and you know i think i'll always want to work in in car stuff but i i want to do other things as well and i've done other things but not consistently so it was a really nice script from that point of view because it, it it was allowing me to show another set of skills i guess and 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 actually fusing the knowledge and experience of of shooting fast moving action with a bit more of a narrative um and and lots of cast so the script was was fairly well fleshed out they had like really good ideas of the 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 points in history that they wanted to um show and it was all about moving from the first combustion engine um well actually from horses horse drawn carriages into the first combustion engine and then through kind of key points in automotive history up until the present day with this uh, hybrid car which is kind of you know the the, the sort of uh, pinnacle of uh, of the two obviously electric being an option but at the moment you know yeah some people say it's not quite uh, ready but whatever but um so it was a, it was a it was a really nice simple story um and they had lots of ideas for the types of characters and cars um but really we needed to hone it hone it down and and for a 60 or a 90 second you know kind of fine fine tune the amount of people and the amount of characters and and find a balance because if you show too much and you kind of try and yeah cover too much ground it's just it's just um i think i was i was very conscious of it becoming a procession of stuff you know and we've seen a lot of that sort of commercial before and sometimes they work and other times you just feel like we're going there's this character then there's this character then there's this character and there's not really a sort of um narrative flow or build of up and you know peak and trough of drama so i think removing certain things was a really key point in the process um, developing the script was like i don't think we need to show this even though it's really cool you know i, I just don't think it's it's not adding anything um that the others aren't adding and it's just giving us less time to enjoy certain moments so kind of yeah threading that um story with the right amount of time for the right scenes was was really tricky actually um and then trying to make it yeah trying to make each scene feel slightly different so because obviously shooting shooting a car driving past a series of other cars it can very quickly become repetitive um and and you like well if you've only got one car you can kind of put the camera anywhere but if you need to show what it's passing you're kind of limited aren't you to to certain angles that that display the comparison between the two things so as, uh, along with like showing these two shots if you like it was really about how to bring in characters how to put in little bits of performance that were entertaining um and going to help keep the audience engaged with oh who's this person what are they doing and ah uh, and that's what they're driving as opposed to constantly just revealing what they you know this this next car and then who was in it um yeah so that was that was a kind of big challenge to keep it feeling feeling fresh as the film went through and you know it was funny moments there were more dramatic moments um yeah sorry does that yeah yeah no talk talk a little bit about casting i'm just curious that you know so many so many different characters and you have to convey you have to convey like it you know such emotion and just even a glance i'm i'm curious like what was the casting process like since these since these actors don't have dialogue and they're not on screen for very long what what kind of 
exercises did you put people through to just see was a good fit or was it more so you're just really casting based off of their looks yeah i mean casting for kind of car commercials is, is usually really painful because there's nothing harder to do than pretend to drive a car when you can't do very much other than sit and hold a wheel and look out the window right and and maybe react to something so it, it's it's usually a it's a horrible process and i i've i've started you know i'll do video casting of people but i'll keep it really brief if it's a normal um job and I, i'm much more interested if if i can see they can act i'm more interested in taking stills of them in a nice light a cinematic light in the studio just to show people look they've got a great face and their acting is fine but they're going to look really good on camera um so but with this you know obviously it was all about the casting really because the the visual bit was was going to be was going to take care of itself in my mind and i wasn't worried about that at all because we had a great team and all of that but the the actors really was what it was going to fall potentially fall down on um and it was my chance to really kind of prove that I can work with actors and, you know, even though the performance is, is minimal, at least overall feel like you, you believed all these, these, these characters' performances. So we cast it, uh, we cast it in Spain because that's where we shot it. And, you know, financially we needed to keep it in the same country because there was a lot of actors. Um, but what I did was try to cast in bigger groups. So I kind of tried to actually put all of these people in their situation. I put them in costume, you know, we, we played music sometimes. I kind of um, gave them a full scene to do. So I was like, give them, you know, makeup stuff that would happen. So the hot rods, you know, with the fifties characters, I had the guys and the girls side by side, you know, they were in leather jackets and hats and they had props and stuff and played music and just tried to create a vibe so that, for 10 seconds, maybe you see, okay, I believe them. They look like they could be friends and there's a really great chemistry and energy going on there. And if they can take a bit of direction, um, then, you know, if in a casting studio with a grey, horrible <laughs> casting studio and I'm smiling at the monitor, then I was like, well, the minute you put them in a real car, and you know, then it's going to be, it's going to be fine. Um, so that's kind of as much as I could do really was just try to, give people some characterful elements to make them feel like they were in 1900 or the 1950s you know and and if they would would come alive a little bit then i think you know you know that's enough you kind of seen it in it um, so yeah it's it it was really just throwing people together and trying to get them to improvise um uh yeah and it was it sort of if i felt like it worked well and we were it was very easy to pick the people because you could just see who was embracing that. Um, and that's what I, it was nice because I did that as a kid, like all the time we were, you know, when I was acting and stuff, it was all thrown into these situations where you had to be someone and pretend to do this. So I, it felt a bit like I was a bit nostalgic, actually. Um, I kind of enjoyed that, that process a lot. Well, the performances were great, man. Um, another, another element um, that was, you know, certainly had to be, pulled off to make the commercial work would be the production design. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your approach was and kind of maybe in your research of what you were finding out? Um, because certainly this is a kind of a travel through time piece. And yeah. Those cars too. Yeah. And sourcing yes. the cars too. Just the practicality of that. Yeah. I mean, it was a real, um, a real mission. We, I guess the first thing to say was like the visually, I wanted the whole thing to kind of exist in one, one place um one location and and it and the and the changes were really just about the elements you know the the characters and the cars so there was a consistent environment and i wanted this it to have a slightly ethereal fantastical nature so smoke was a big big part of the treatment and and the technical approach you know having this very per, sort of fine amount of smoke in the air to give a sense of movement and um speed but also yeah like a whimsical um kind of character to it so I, I and i think that's part of the production design in a way that that aesthetic um and then the the cars was the was a big big challenge because you know you can find cars but you've got to shoot them and they've got to work and they can't you know you've got a very tight schedule and if a car breaks down um which obviously they did but <laughs> if it if it breaks down too much then 
you really are kind of in in trouble because then the lights changing and you've you know you've got uh, all these people in costumes starting to sweat on a runway in the middle of the sun um, and nothing's happening so we had to find cars that worked well enough and could be relied upon to a fairly good extent to, 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 to deliver the, the, the job you know um, but at the same time I really wanted a certain color palette and an aesthetic to the styling of the cars and the wardrobe so that we were in a certain world um, and and there was lots to choose from actually in Spain there's that there's loads of these car collectors that have got these amazing vehicles and we had uh, options to maybe slightly more fantastical cars but they were they were starting to get a bit wacky and I, I wanted it to keep quite real um, from a, a visual point of view and that's why we, we chose cars that were muted in colour um, and, and of the, they were sort of you know accurate to their time in a way and um, and sort of were sympathetic to the, the colour palette of the, the grey that we were thinking of um, and the, the wardrobe of the characters had to complement the cars as well so um, yeah, we, we the, the, our art director was a guy called Patrick, and he was amazing at sourcing all these vehicles and negotiating with the owners that we were going to look after them. And you know, there were certain restrictions like we couldn't have the the nineteen so the nineteen twenties car, the blue one, was um, I think on Amil car, which was a real real car from the time. And the owner insisted that he was very happy for us to use it, but he insisted it had to be driven by a proper racing driver or precision driver. And obviously I was like, well, hang on a minute, I, these guys have got to act and certain shots we can cheat, but there's going to be shots with that where you can see the wheels turning in camera and we can't use a double because, you know, there's, the car's too small to hide the fact that it's not driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd worked with this racing driver on an AMG project, the one with Lewis Hamilton in it, and um, he was this GP2 driver who was amazing. And I just thought... I'm, He's got he's got an energy. I, I I want to cast him. So we did a FaceTime like a Skype casting. Um, he lived in Malaga, and I just got him to do a sort of little fake moustache with a pen, and, you know, and and sort of just do it. And I just, he'd never acted before. You know, he was a racing driver, but he he'd totally like went for it, and he knew what a racing driver did. So he actually didn't need to do that much because he. I just said, imagine you're in a battle and you're about to be overtaken, and he was gritting his teeth, and you know, suddenly we. I was like, brilliant. So we flew him in so he could drive the car sort of safely and legally, but also take direction and um, not risk crashing or or, or anything like that. So it was, was, you know, very difficult to find the right cars with the right people in um, that that looked good enough and could act well enough and not break down. But yeah, we, we, we managed to to get there in the end um, obviously we had some some brilliant breakdowns on the day <laughs> just you know getting out of the Russian arm and having to push this 1910 car to get it to turn over at random points <laughs> uh, or you the, the runway was uphill one direction downhill the other so going uphill everything started slowing down you know and you're like oh god this, this is just gonna grind to a halt but um yeah it, we, we got by with the skin of our teeth why did you guys pick Spain what was the thought there Mainly, we needed it to be European um, for cost reasons, and the weather in that part of Spain was the most predictable because it was a it was a five day shoot, and you know five days with the same weather is pretty a big ask, you know, sort of anywhere in Europe. Um, so you got five straight days of the same. Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. We, we nice, although nice. within that we had a lightning storm, um, which. Luckily, it turned out to be the day we shot the horses. So for me, I was like, I wanted this gloomy, smoggy, mysterious opening to the film. And, and that morning, there was like a thunderstorm, um, but it was in the distance. So there was no rain on us, but we had this wonderful cloud structure going on. Um, and as the sun came up, it just kind of was, yeah, it was perfect. It couldn't have been better, really. Um, and then the rest of the time, we were really lucky and blessed with with clear skies and, and good weather. I mean, obviously if it had rained, we would have had a travel, you know, a travel, a weather, a weather day, but it, but it would have lost the momentum, I think. Um, so we were very lucky weather wise, but um, yeah, that's why we picked Spain. It was just the most predictable um, and, and had a runway that was big enough and sort of bland enough to, you know, create the look we wanted. 
So for this project or really any project where you're integrating VFX, do you, do you have a similar process with that? Maybe speaking with your VFX artist in, in pre-production, even before the treatment phase to, to maybe see like kind of what's possible or how, how do you go about planning and integrating VFX into your work? Yeah, I mean, this one was fairly straightforward from a post point of view. We had a, a, a bridge and a city in the background to do, but that was that was pretty simple. Um, but normally on post heavy, post heavy jobs, um, you know, things like that AMG project there, you know, yeah, there's loads of conversations up front. And I, I work with a pretty tight team. You know, I work with the mill a lot um, in London and, uh, you know, in, in the US. But the guys in London, you know, they we work together a lot and we end up traveling to lots of shoots together. So we've got a very good relationship and they'll often we'll, we'll do previs, we'll do, you know, mock up ideas, um, especially once the job's been booked. It's a very important stage of trying to find the look. And that that involves a DP as well. You know, we, we'll, we'll create something and then get their opinion on it and dial in changes based on how that might um, work with how we're sort of thinking of shooting it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's super important um, because you, you, you often have such little time at the back end that you really want to know what you're going to be making and what it's going to look like um, so that you're not, you're not trying to chase your tail at the end. Um, but also so it really beds in with the sort of style of the film and you, you're, not, you're not trying to retrofit something. Um, but yeah, and it, I enjoy that process a lot of talking to those guys because they've always got ideas as well for techniques and they may have done something similar before and they can chip in an idea that is, you know, really valuable in terms of actually getting something shot as efficiently as possible. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, I guess, how would you say as your career's progressed, how would you say that your your tastes and interests have kind of changed and molded and and where do you where do you see yourself in the future where do where do you where would you like to take your career stay really see yourself staying in the commercial space like to get more into the narrative world mm. yeah i mean i i think i i've definitely been on a a learning curve and i've i've enjoyed at least up until recently kind of just trying to learn as much as I can and, and, and practice and experiment as much as I can. And obviously there's things I've enjoyed doing more than other projects, you know, that where I've really felt, you know, projects like Porsche, which really kind of ticked a lot of boxes for me and it, it, it contained a lot of things I really, really loved. Um, other projects were more an exercise where I wanted to learn something, I wanted to try something or work with somebody, um, and still obviously massively care about what we're making but there's I'm, I'm 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 just trying to expand my my repertoire and get to a point where i feel not not more confident because I, I i've always felt confident but um just knowing okay yeah i've been in a situation where there's been 250 crew and i and everything's gone well and we've achieved what we wanted to achieve and i think having that knowing you can do that is is something that I was very conscious of I, I wanted to sort of get to that point where I felt like I kind of had in, I'd had enough elements to deal with that I probably you couldn't add that many more in <laughs> to the mix so the pressure was as it, at its biggest it could be um, and proving to myself that that was kind of manageable um, and then more recently I've just tried to yeah steer, steer try to steer more towards projects that are perhaps a bit broader, not just purely visual, um, maybe trying to trying to experiment a little bit more tonally with lighter, more fun things. Not not so much comedy, but but trying to bring in my visual style with, with more of a straightforward narrative that's less conceptual. Um, and that's something I'm work you know, I'm trying to do at the moment with well with projects like Toyota, there's a another Audi project coming out very soon that's a bit more traditional intensive and narrative um uh and yeah i kind of want to keep keep broadening now and, and using the the skills i guess i've acquired through doing big set pieces and coordinating that 
and, and try and apply that to other genres you know whether that's action or sports um you, you know i i definitely want to work with with actors more and and you know introduce more kind of traditional narratives into trying to make original visuals um fuse those two worlds together um and then i guess yeah you know obviously long form and narrative drama is is definitely something i want to to do i've just never been i never i didn't want to put myself into too much pressure to chase it because you know i don't know it's difficult like the job is so consuming when you're busy and i'm very lucky that i've been busy up until now and and it, it yeah you can only do so much at once right you can't you for me personally i i don't imagine i'm going to sit down and write a script for 6 months and also you know work my ass off on all of these commercials it's right, just not you really need to to step away for a little bit yeah yeah but I, i've definitely began that process of conversations with people that i know and trying to start the the journey of finding maybe a project that i like enough to consider doing that you know mm-hmm. um yeah it's, that's definitely now on my on my radar um but but at the same time i really want to broaden in the commercial world i want to broaden the work i'm doing and really push things and try and um yeah kind of keep proving to myself that i can do more exciting bigger challenges i guess um yeah Awesome. Well, Mark, the question we always like to end with is just asking if there's anything that you've learned along the way that you really wish you would have known starting out early in your career that maybe would have uh, helped you to avoid some missteps or or just you can think of it as any advice you'd have for up and coming filmmakers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really, um, it's a great question. It's a really tough question. I think um, one of the like I've always tried to be nice and I hope I'm a nice person to the people I've worked with. Um, and, and I think there's two things, I guess. The first thing is not something I didn't do, but it's definitely something if I was doing it, I did it without thinking. And I, I, I if I was to tell anyone or give anyone advice, it would, they definitely should do this. And I think just being nice to people is, is by far been, like I can look back now and and see things I did and go, well, I think that was definitely partly because I was nice, <laughs> and you know, and it was you know being sort of, yeah, just really as humble as you can and nice to everyone around you, and you know appreciating that every single person around you on a film shoot is 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 in their own mind doing something that's important to them, and they're just as important as you are you know, in their mind, even if they know they're working for a director or produce whatever, but, or a DP, whatever that, but in their mind, they're like the center of the universe. Right. And, and as they should be. So being aware of that and trying to elevate people around you by being nice and encouraging, um, and giving people those little opportunities to show them, to prove themselves or, you know, I think is, is like really, really important. Um, because you really see like how everyone pulls together more and you you benefit from it because everyone's sort of wanting to to make the thing you're making better but it's a really um i think yeah just really rewarding mindset to be in is like trying to step out and step back from the 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 pressures and responsibility of being let's say you know if you're a director or a head of department and 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 just trying to keep your mind on everyone else's position and how you can best, you know, give them the best possible chance of, of being the best. And it's, it's I, I think that's really important to be aware of. Um, and I guess that's the other thing that I maybe didn't do sometimes that I wished I'd known. And it's more late. It's more once you start working professionally, I guess, not when you're like a student or when you're first starting out trying to make stuff. I think it's, learning to cope with conflict better so when someone doesn't agree with what you want to do um you know in the past I had moments where I'd take it too personally and it would upset you and maybe it's not like you I was rude or nasty but I may you know it, it makes you slightly different for a moment and 
learning to like water off a duck's back learning to just accept and move on from confrontation especially in like advertising where ultimately you're a hired hand and you've got to make what they want um the sooner you get over and or don't the, the less you let that stuff get to you that i think the better your life's going to be and the more enjoyable the project's going to be because you're sometimes ultimately fighting a battle you will not win um and just being resilient to your belief doesn't necessarily mean that the film's going to be better um because you'll just shoulder all this emotion and and or take it in and it will just kind of eat away at you so I definitely have been through that learning curve and, and learned the hard way occasionally. Um, and I've worked very hard now to not let stuff get to me personally because there's no point. So that would definitely be a piece of advice is just because someone doesn't like your idea, doesn't, it's not personal. It's, you know, everyone has a job to do and <laughs> yeah, they don't always align. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Mark. Uh, I know we sure did. He's a super nice guy. So go check out his work. And, yeah, just uh, he's definitely someone to watch out for. Uh, I think he's got some really exciting things ahead of him as well. So, yeah, that's going to do it, guys. We will see you very soon. Bye. Bye.